episode 15. Today we're going to be talking about the Sailor of the Quarter and Sailor of the Year programs. Finally, getting episode 15 off the ground. I apologize for the delay. It's having some technical difficulties with both adulting and real life, and then uh, my actual technology was not <laughs> playing along as it commonly does, so I, was, I had to get all that ironed out. Uh, so we'll have this one released, and then the plan is still to knock out another one on Friday and get back on my normal schedule of Friday, so I apologize for the delay. So I'm going to talk first, like I always do, about hitting us up if you got questions about anything or you want to suggest a topic, which is where I got the topic today. I actually had some feedback from a listener and that asked to address this topic specifically. Please reach out to us either through Facebook Messenger or send us an email at don'tgiveuptheshippodcast at gmail.com. And we'll get back to you, get you whatever feedback or answers you need, and then, like today, we'll uh, get the topic on the air for you. And so I'm going to jump right into the history segment today, and it's kind of related to the awards program, or an awards program, uh, in that I'm going to talk about the most decorated enlisted man in the Navy history, uh, and that person is BMC James E. Williams. You might recognize the name because there's a ship named after this guy. So James is Elliot Williams, a Native American Cherokee from South Carolina, entered the Navy in July 1947 before retiring in April 1967. And he gained distinction by becoming the most decorated enlisted man in Navy history. When he retired from active service, he was employed with the Wackenhunt Corporation, and in 1969 was appointed to the U.S. Marshal Service in South Carolina. He also became an instructor at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia, and also served at the U.S. Marshal Service headquarters in Washington, D.C. until his retirement from federal government service. Uh, I'm going to read an All Hands Magazine article about uh, Chief Williams from 1998. Boatswain's mate first class, James Elliott Williams, never intended to be a hero. He just wanted to be a sailor. When I was 16, I convinced the county clerk to alter my birth certificate so I could come into the Navy. I thought there was nothing better than serving my country and getting paid for it. But William's first experience at sea was less than glorious. In fact, it was downright boring. The first ship I drew, I was the most disappointed man in the world. I joined the Navy to see the world, and doggone it, I wasn't moving. I got orders to an LST that just sat around a buoy in San Diego Harbor. But from that experience, Williams learned a valuable lesson about discipline and leadership. An old chief told me, son, you got to learn to take orders even if you disagree with them. That's the first step to being a good sailor and a good leader. If you can't take orders, you certainly won't be respected when you give them later. Well, I got the message. Learning discipline was the springboard that helped me in my Navy career. From then on, I had the sharpest damn knife and the shiniest shoes in the Navy. <laughs> That's what I was taught. That's what I believed in, being a good sailor. The proudest day of my life had nothing to do with medals, ribbons, or citations. It was when they made me a patrol officer. That position was held only by chiefs and officers. It showed the trust the Navy had placed in me. I always wanted the opportunity to show what I could do. This Vietnam thing was it for me. The Navy gave me the chance to do my job. On his first day out, Williams didn't disappoint. October 31st, 1966 was supposed to be a restful day in the steamy heartland of the Viet Cong. But it's one of those times I won't never forget, no matter how hard I try. We were on a day patrol, kind of like the Relax and Recreation Patrol, nothing too heavy. We were only going to check a few boats coming down the Mekong River for contraband. We were just moseying on down the river, minding our own business, when our forward gunner hollered. There's two fast-speed boats crossing ahead of us. We had learned if you saw one of these sampons, it was something. It usually meant there was something, someone high-ranking a North Vietnamese officer on board, and that meant trouble. As soon as the Viet Cong spotted us, they started firing. 
The two boats split, one headed for the north bank, the other went east. Williams and his crew broke off with the northbound boat and sank it before it could reach the river's edge. The 36-year-old Williams, affectionately called Old Man by his crew of mostly 19- and 20-year-olds, then turned for the second boat. As he was about to open fire, the Sampon made a sharp turn into an 8-foot-wide canal in front of a rice paddy. Williams and his crew of patrol boat 105 couldn't follow. I looked at the map and saw that I could go to the right maybe for a third of a mile and come back to where he would have come out. We wanted to get them real bad. I went around that corner at max speed to cut him off, and lo and behold, I looked up and didn't see anything but boats and people and more boats and more people. Williams had unwittingly stumbled into a first staging area, uh, and there was no way out but straight ahead. With bullets flying and guns blazing, Williams slammed the throttle down and pulled the wheel hard left, creating a large wake which slapped against the hull of the sampon and disrupted the enemy's aim. Williams then took PBR-105 at full speed through the middle of the formation, causing mass confusion. Fire came from all directions, but their aim was off that day because they was shooting and hitting more of each other than we was. <laughs> With some crafty boat handling, Williams zigzagged his way through the staging area while his crew returned the enemy's fire. But the cliché, out of the frying pan and into the fire, was about to become much more real for Williams and his crew. We get through this area, and I'm trying to hightail it back. We got around the next corner, and by God, there's another staging area. We just had to fight. There was no way out. I twisted, crisscrossed, and turned that PBR. I did whatever I could to get them off our backs. The fight lasted for three and a half hours. When it was over, Williams, with just two boats and ten men, had sunk 65 enemy boats and eliminated 1,200 enemy troops. It's hard to believe the first day we were out, we got blasted to hell and back, and nobody got killed. For his heroic actions that day, Williams was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. But he is quick to admonish anyone who wants to talk about his awards. You gotta stop and think about your shipmates. That's what makes you a great person and a great leader, taking care of each other. You gotta think team. It takes a team to win any battle, not an individual. But on one particular day in 1966, this individual made the team unbeatable. I'm not going to read his Medal of Honor citation from that day. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty, BM-1 Williams was serving as boat captain and patrol officer aboard River Patrol Boat PBR-105 accompanied by another patrol boat when the patrol was suddenly taken under fire by two enemy sampons. BM-1 Williams immediately ordered the fire returned, killing the crew of one enemy boat and causing the other sampan to take refuge in a nearby river inlet. Pursuing the fleeing sampan, the U.S. patrol encountered a heavy volume of small arms fire from enemy forces at close range, occupying well-concealed positions along the riverbank. Maneuvering through this fire, the patrol confronted a numerically superior enemy force aboard two enemy junks and eight sampons augmented by heavy automatic weapons fire from ashore. In the savage battle that ensued, BM-1 Williams, with utter disregard for his safety, exposed himself to withering hail of enemy fire to direct counterfire and inspire the actions of his patrol. Recognizing the overwhelming strength of the enemy force, BM-1 Williams deployed his patrol to await the arrival of armed helicopters. In the course of his movement, he discovered an even larger concentration of enemy boats. Not waiting for the arrival of the helicopters, he displayed great initiative and boldly led the patrol through the intense enemy fire 
and damaged or destroyed 50 enemy sampons and 7 junks. This phase of the action completed, and with the arrival of the armed helicopters, BM-1 Williams directed the attack on the remaining enemy force. Now virtually dark, and although BM-1 Williams was aware that his boats would become even better targets, he ordered the patrol boat's searchlights turned on to better illuminate the area and moved the patrol perilously close to shore to press the attack. Despite a waning supply of ammunition, the patrol successfully engaged the enemy ashore and completed the route of the enemy force. Under the leadership of BM-1 Williams, who demonstrated unusual professional skill and indomitable courage throughout the three-hour battle, the patrol accounted for the destruction or loss of 65 enemy boats and inflicted numerous casualties on the enemy personnel. His extraordinary heroism and exemplary fighting spirit in the face of grave risks inspired the efforts of his men to defeat a larger enemy force and are in keeping with the finest traditions of United States Naval Service. Williams died on October 13, 1999, and was buried at Florence National Cemetery in Florence, South Carolina. The Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, speaking at the funeral, said, We will forever be grateful for the leadership and commitment he showed his sailors. Petty Officer Williams was an amazing sailor. Following his death, a retired Rear Admiral who commanded Williams in Vietnam remarked, Willie did not seek awards. He did not covet getting them. We did not seek to make him a hero. The circumstances of time and place and the enemy's presence did that. I know through personal investigation of each incident that he never placed his crew nor his patrol boats in danger without first ensuring the risk was calculated and that the surprise was on his side. He always had the presence of mind not to endanger friendly villages. He inspired us all, junior and senior alike. It was my greatest honor to have served with the man who truly led us all with his example of unselfish devotion to duty. Uh, in December 2004, the USS James E. Williams DDG-95 was commissioned in his honor. Uh, and his military decorations included, of course, the Medal of Honor, also the Navy Cross, Silver Star with one gold award star, Legion of Merit with a Valor device, Navy and Marine Corps Medal with a Gold Star Award, Bronze Star with a Valor device and two Gold Star Awards, Purple Heart with two Gold Star Awards, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal with Valor Device and Gold Star Award. Navy and Marine Corps Presidential Unit Citation with Bronze Service Star. Navy Good Conduct Medal with four Bronze Service Stars. Navy Expeditionary Medal. National Defense uh, with a Bronze Service Star. Korean Service Medal with two Bronze Stars. Armed Forces Expeditionary Medal. Vietnam Service Medal with two Bronze Service Stars. Korean Presidential Unit Citation. Vietnam Cross of Gallantry with Gold Star and Palm. United Nations Korean Medal, Republic of Vietnam Campaign Medal, and the Korean War Service Medal. So, holy crap. That's a lot of awards. This one, I, I mean, when I read it, I kind of, when I first looked up the topic, I wanted to look at, like, just the history of awards programs in general. And if you don't know about Admiral Stockdale being the most decorated officer uh, in the history of the Navy, that's who that is. And But I had never actually known the history behind this, and I'm, I was really excited that I learned that... Uh, not just who it was and then got the story behind the James E. Williams. I had heard of the ship but didn't know the story behind the sailor. Then also that he was a chief. I always get pumped about that stuff. So to know that uh, he ended up a BMC. He did all this when he was a first class, though, which is incredible in and of itself. Uh, I mean, like they mentioned that he was an older gentleman at the time. But, I mean, good Lord, just the story alone of the Medal of Honor action. And then when you read that list... You got to think about, I mean, there's half a dozen other instances where he uh, earned bronze stars or above. Uh, it, unbelievable. 
unbelievable how many how many awards he got for doing exactly that and then how selfless he was about it and how humble he was understanding that it wasn't about him i thought that was a really great history segment for today's topic uh, which is the awards programs we use to recognize you all when you're doing the great things you're doing and we're going to specifically talk about the sailor of the year and sailor of the quarter programs Uh, and i'm going to break it down all the way down to all the different categories uh, and, and talk about the program as a whole navy wide but i want to talk about how like we've mentioned before, everyone needs positive reinforcement. We're, we mentioned self-actualization previously. It's a fact of life and an important tenet of leadership that the Sailor of the Year program is an incredible mechanism for satisfying what we've previously quantified as a need. And Chief Williams called it out uh, when he was talking about it in that article from All Hands where uh, it wasn't about him, it was about everyone else and taking care of them. And that's exactly what this program is designed to do. So junior sailors should understand this program and how to navigate its execution so that when you are nominated or when you're on the other side and you're part of the nomination process and selection process, when you're nominated for your sustained superior performance, you're prepared to take advantage of the important opportunity and then to leverage the program for your sailors when you're put in the position uh, to nominate and select. Uh, and, And I was originally planning on going back to more of a leadership theory topic since we've hit two policy programs, policy or program type topics in a row. Uh, but this one seemed appropriate. Like I, It's the season to do this right now. I'm in the middle of preparing Sailor of the Quarter packages right now for, for my sailors and my command, uh, as many of the chiefs out there are as well. And uh, also, like I said previously, it was a request from a listener. Uh, so that's something that we wanted to get out there and kind of address this topic for you all and give you guys some insight on how this process works from my end, but also uh, talk about the program itself. And that's what I'm going to start with. So like always, when I do these types of topics, I want to point out the reference and kind of the master reference is OpNav Instruction 1700.10 series, and it's currently on November revision. It's a pretty recent revision. And this instruction, it's the governing instruction for the whole Sailor of the Year program, uh, like Navy-wide. So take the time to go over it, especially if you're in a position to sit boards or make nominations or prepare packages. In, the ca- in this case, it's required reading, but keep in mind when reviewing this particular instruction that this is discussing the Sailor of the Year program on a Navy-wide level. And at this level, they're talking about the ones you've probably recently seen in the news, uh, this, the fleet Sailor of the Year types that were getting a meritorious advance to chief. And at this level, there's four Sailor of the Years. So there's the Atlantic Fleet Sailor of the Year, Pacific Fleet Sailor of the Year, Shore Sailor of the Year and Reserve Component Sailor of the Year. And these sailors are meritoriously advanced to chief when they're selected at that level. That's the impact this program can have. And, and they competed from their individual units up through like echelon levels all the way up to the very top where they were selected for those fleet positions. And they were meritoriously advanced to chief. It's a big deal. This program's a huge deal. And uh, being aware of that concept, there's not a lot of people out there that know that you can get meritoriously advanced to chief at all. Um, But this program is the way that you do it. So then after you read this reference, and it's kind of general, and like I said, it addresses the Navy-wide perspective, every command kind of is going to have its own instruction to administer the program at the command level. And it's going to delineate how they're going to do it there. This is for my junior level leavers, right? This is the one that you should be reviewing. Uh, and this, you'll generally find a wealth of information, including the sheet they use to score the package and board. That's big, okay? It's a lot of people think it's like this trade secret or something that we keep very tight-lipped about, but it's in the instruction. It's an enclosure in the instruction for your command, and that instruction is not hidden. It's probably on your, your computer network or in a binder in someone's office, but it's not a secret. No one's hiding it from you, so get in that instruction and read it and review that 
grade sheet so that you understand what they're grading you on so you can prepare yourself and your sailors for success when they're in this position. And then levels of the awards. So the, the award is broken down by levels. They'll be found in the same or a separate command level instruction because you may have one for sale of the year and one for sale of the quarter and the different levels of each award. But either way, ensure that you're aware of all of them. These are things you've probably already seen on board your ship or unit. And if you haven't, you will. The program runs year-round on a fiscal year schedule, so the fiscal year runs from October 1st uh, through September 30th. And each quarter, you're going to have different levels of the award. So you're going to have Blue Jacket of the quarter, Junior Sailor of the quarter, and then Sailor of the quarter. Uh, and you'll see the same thing at a yearly level. And, and I've seen some slightly different iterations. Like sometimes I've seen Senior Sailor of the quarter for like more senior first classes, and they've kind of broken it out almost as like another category. But this is the commonly used construct is those three categories, Blue Jacket, Junior Sailor, and then Sailor. Blue Jacket of the quarter is generally a frock D4 and below. So E1, E3, and frock D4s. Junior Sailor quarter is generally E4s and E5s. Uh, and sailor quarter is E6s. Some commands will allow senior E5s to compete at the Sailor quarter and even the yearly level. But again, generally this is the construct. And, and unit composition is going to play a role, like how big the command is, how many uh, you know, second and first classes and, and E4s and so on that you have. And then this then leads to the yearly awards, like I mentioned earlier, for each category. When the fiscal year comes to a close at the end of September, you're going to start to see the yearly awards. So Blue Jacket of the Year, uh, Junior Sailor of the Year, and Sailor of the Year. Um, so now that we've kind of gotten the basic construct out of the way, got a lot of the just how it's set up, let's talk about the process of how this, this program is administered. So first, I want to talk about sustained superior performance. And this is the number one criteria for nomination and eventually selection. All right, sustained superior performance. And you will constantly hear this phrase as your career progresses all the way to my level. Everyone evaluating you will be looking for sustained superior performance in your primary duty first, and then your major collateral duties and any other collaterals that you have, and then the extra stuff, so college and community service and et cetera. And this isn't just for this program. This is for your evaluations and advancement and everything. Sustained superior performance. Uh, it's not a moving target, and it seems like people feel that it is sometimes. They feel like, again, like it's some secret, and there's like, you know, we keep the actual criteria hidden in a, in a safe somewhere or something, and it's not. It's really not a moving target. Sometimes a command will put a little too much stock in something that seems less important than they feel that it is, but by and large, this is an extremely consistent theme. Sustained superior performance. Uh, and as we've talked about previously, there's no secret to that sustained superior performance. Show up early with a positive attitude in a stellar uniform and bust your butt working hard. That's it. The actual execution of that at your, for your individual command at your individual level will slightly vary, but the overall arching concept is just show up in the right uniform, on time, positive attitude, work really, really hard. Uh, and, and you would be floored at how far that will take you. Like I still use that concept today. And it's very simple. Uh, and people think it's a secret, and it's not, okay? Uh, so nomination for the awards. So you'll usually find out you're nominated when you're told about the board. This is an important piece of information. Why? Because sometimes people forget to tell you about this stuff. So maybe Chief brings it up to, you know, the first class, first class lets the second class know to let you know that you got to be at this board, and somehow somebody saw a squirrel and they got busy and, you know, they forgot. Uh, and then last minute, they're like, oh, crap, they got to let you know. And that late notice will not delay the board. Okay. So what does this mean? Have your dress uniform ready at all times. Have your dress uniforms hanging in your closet ready at all times. 
Have a clean starch press with your inspection-ready dress shoes all polished up so that you are ready to go. Because at some point, it will probably happen. You will probably get super, super short notice that you have to be at this board like the next day or something to that effect. It happened to me. It happened to me. It could happen to you. So just have it ready so that you can be in a position to seize this opportunity. The board. Okay, so let's move on to the actual board. This is what people freak out about the most. Uh, they get really, really nervous about this. Um, and think the whole thing hinges on that. And it doesn't, but the board is important. The board is important in that each candidate's packages are generally in the same ballpark. So when I say it's not everything, it's because your package gets graded. So uh, your individual supervisor, like LPO or chief, is going to write you uh, a nomination package. And that's going to capture everything you've accomplished and the great things that you're doing. It'll have a, a big, long write-up, kind of breaking down exactly what you've accomplished, so on and so forth. And that will get graded. And that, that plays a significant role as well. But again, the fact that you all, all the comp competitive uh, nominees made it to that level because they're competitive. So the board is kind of used to break somebody out because we got to pick somebody out of those nominees. Okay. As I stated before, the grading sheet used by the board members is not a secret. So get in your commands instruction and take a look because then you'll be much more prepared for the board because while you're in there, you're going to know what we're looking for. And that gives you a huge leg up. The basic structure of the board with you outside uh, with your dressing uniform on, either whites or blues depending on the season, uh, you're going to be prompted to enter the board at which time you'll enter the venue wherever that happens to be. It's usually we do it in the wardroom uh, sometimes, but it could be in the chief's quarters, it could be in, in a classroom, it just depends on where you're at. Uh, so you'll enter the venue covered, make the proper facing movements to arrive in front of the board chairperson, and then you're going to report. This is something to the effect of, good afternoon, chief, or, or uh, the first class petty officer, whoever the chair is. FC3 Timmy reporting for a junior state of the quarter board as ordered. At this time, you're usually given some orders so the board can conduct a, a quick little personnel inspection or uniform inspection. Uh, one thing I want to break out right here is, I think I've mentioned in our previous episode, but uh, shine leather shoes do that for me, <laughs> do that for you. I, I then one of the sailor quarter boards, uh, I think it was one of the last ones I went to. I went to a bunch of them at my first shore duty as a second class. And uh, I, in my mind with the people I was standing out there, I was standing next to like departmental LPO first classes with like 15 years in the Navy. And I was like a six year second class at the time. I was like, I have no chance of winning this. <laughs> and, uh, but it was a good experience for me. And that's why my chief was sending me. And besides that, it was positive reinforcement for me doing a good job just to be nominated. But uh, I went into the board, and I had always shined leather shoes. I don't know why. It was just something that I did. Uh, I took a lot of pride in it. I still do. I still do it to this day. When I wear khakis or a dress uniform, I, I still polish leather shoes. And when I walked in there, my chief was sitting at the end of the table, big, huge, long boardroom table. And I swear to God, there was like 25 chiefs, senior chiefs, and master chiefs in that room. And my chief's down at the end of the table, and as they were doing the little personnel inspection piece, they finished it up and told me to take a seat. And uh, I, or I could hear my chief, like, he couldn't contain his pride, and he pointed at him and wanted everybody at the table to know that I was wearing leather shoes, and those were not the, you know, fake chlorofam shoes. It was a big deal uh, to him, and it, it, I'm, you know, to me it's a big deal even now uh, as a senior chief sitting the awards boards we do at A school. When I see them come in with 
really just amazing polished shoes that it's hard for me to tell if they're the fake ones or not. Like I get out of my chair and go look. That goes a long way and that's a big deal to me. It's kind of like a real motivated Sailor's Creed. Uh, so that's something I just wanted to point out. If you take that kind of pride in a uniform, those little things go a long way with the board members. Okay, so back to the uniform inspection piece. They will order you to uncover. Uh, generally, they'll have you about face, once step forward, march, about face again, so that they can see your whole uniform. While they're doing this, they're going to give you those face movement orders, and they don't do this just to see your uniform, but to gauge your military bearing. So if you botch a facing movement, like the about face, which is the most common one that when someone's nervous, they're going to trip over their own two feet, they're going to ding you on this. So make sure you're practicing in your room. For a lot of you uh, that may be listening, it's been a while. It's been a while since you've executed those facing movements since you're at RTC or A school. Uh, so take the time to practice those things in your room in front of a mirror. Uh, if you have trouble with them, go find somebody on your ship that used to be an RDC or something to that effect and, uh, and have them show you how to do it. Uh, but practice those things while you're not nervous and freaking out and it's not game time so that when game time comes, it's just an unconscious motion and you just knock it out. So prior to sitting unprompted, and that's key, prior to sitting unprompted, they will generally expect you to call the room to attention and recite the Sailor's Creed. I've never been in a board where we have not expected this. Uh, every command's different, and, and that goes for this whole thing. I mean, you, you might get some version and just be like, what was he talking about on this podcast? But the structure has been the same at every command I've ever been at. So you, at this point, you'll call the room to attention by announcing attention to the Sailor's Creed loudly. Give them a second to stand up. Don't just start belting it out to get it over with. And do it with some gusto, like do it just like the shoe story I just told, right? Do it with some motivation and conviction. Nothing gets me more pumped in a board than someone who belts out a motivated creed and like means it. Uh, I had a girl at a at one of at A school. We had what's called the Accelerated Advancement Program. You probably saw it when you were in A school. And she did a Sailor's Creed where I mean she yelled it out from deep down in her chest and told me like I am the fighting spirit of the Navy. And I was talking about that for weeks i mean i got damn goosebumps when she did that and this was at an a school level so if they can knock this out at that level and they really believe it and mean it and can convey that to the board members again little things like that go a long way with the board members and it's gonna stick out in everyone's mind when they get to the end and they're and they're hashing it out so be motivated all right it counts so now you're you're sitting down so you got you got through all that hard stuff at the beginning so now you're sitting down and you're sweating bullets Calm down, calm down. That's one of the parts the nervousness gets everybody. Sit smartly at attention, but relax. So maintain your military bearing, but calm down and relax. Uh, if you're sitting there having a mini panic attack, it's going to make this way harder than it needs to be. And we're gonna notice and nervousness and your ability to overcome that is something we're also paying attention to. So everyone in that room wants you to do well, so chill out. Now, that doesn't mean completely relax. Again, like smartly maintain your military bearing, but it's okay to laugh at a joke if one of the board members makes one. So hopefully you kind of understand the balance here. But each board member will ask you at least one question, and all boards very slightly, uh, and, but the topics generally include Navy history or heritage, current events, stuff that's going on in the Navy right then at the time of the board, and then Navy policy questions, uh, stuff out of instructions and, and so on. And, and a lot of times you'll get some kind of a scenario or like an opinion-based question. Like, you know, like, how do you feel about women on submarines? Well, and they'll just want to see how you answer the question. 
the only real way to study for these is to be acutely aware of what's happening in the Navy. Uh, you should be doing this anyway. Like we're always saying, be informed, right? Knowledge is power. puts you in a great position uh, when you're informed. But do things like read the Navy Times, uh, Navy.mil, All Hands Magazine, stuff like that. Uh, like things on Facebook. That's a really great resource because you'll, you'll know immediately in your feed like when stuff's coming out. So like find the Ponds page and the CNOs page, uh, Navy Advancement Center, and then you can find the Facebook pages for those sites I mentioned before, like All Hands Magazine and Navy Times. Uh, and they'll alert you to new policies or happenings or, or whatever as they're happening. So it'll keep you very up to date on what's going on in the Navy. Uh, another one is Navy History and Heritage Command. Like them on Facebook. Check out their website, but also they have a YouTube channel with some really, really great content. Uh, so that's one that you can use to study not just for these boards, but just be aware of your history in general. Uh, hopefully you're not just getting it from me since I only do one topic a week, but there's a lot of resources out there. And this is a really, really amazing one where you can just watch YouTube videos when you're bored or something to learn more about your heritage because it'll help you all the way through your naval career. Uh, and it's important to know where you came from. Uh, so when the board concludes, you'll be prompted to stand, cover, and then you'll be dismissed. All right. So now let's talk about something that's not often talked about or trained on, but it's a huge consideration when boarding. And I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I want to get deep into it because it's something that's not often taught. Uh, and it's called boardsmanship. And so boardsmanship is kind of the conduct of the board itself from your end. And it's kind of the uh, you mastering your nervousness. And, and here's what I mean by that. So one of the biggest things is titles and what I, what I call and a lot of people call sandwiching. Uh, and what that is, is so like first, it's kind of how you address the board members. And a lot of people don't know how they get really nervous uh, and it's very basic. So assuming you know them, you just address them by their title, right? So you could CS1, FC1, Chief, Senior Chief, whatever. That's always your best bet. Uh, if you don't know them, which can happen, especially at bigger commands, just stick with uh, general titles. So stick with Petty Officer or Chief, Senior Chief, Master Chief. So just stick with the general titles, uh, respectful, tactful, but just general titles that demonstrate that level of respect and professionalism. And then sandwiching is a technique used to stay professional but provide you almost like with a bit of a roadmap so that you aren't ad-libbing every single answer when you're nervous. So you, there's not an expectation on you to be able to eloquently express an answer like in a new way every time. So sandwiching goes like this. So an example question is, what is the Navy Chief's birthday? And the answer would be, Chief. The Navy Chief's birthday is April 1st, 1893, Chief. So the sandwiching thing being the titles on each end uh, it kind of gives you somewhere to start. And a lot of times what you can do is just, uh, chief, the Navy chief's birthday is pause, think about it, deliver the answer, and then end it with the same thing you started with, which is their title. Gives you a nice little construct there so that you don't have to think about it. And repeating the question in the form of your answer generally helps you comprehend the question that was asked and then deliver an answer, uh, effectively. So it's pretty easy, but what if you don't know the answer? Everybody kind of is like, oh, what if I don't know? What do I do? Oh, my God. And they start panicking. I, what I can tell you is don't shoot from the hip. Do not shoot from the hip. If you think you might know and you're pretty confident, uh, you can guess. But I would, I mean, I would recommend if you don't, if you're not very, very convinced that it's the correct answer, don't shoot from the hip. Uh, if you don't know, it's okay. Uh, if you don't know, most of the other uh, nominees probably don't know, and, and that's fine. Just answer, Chief, I don't have the answer at this time, but I'll get back to you, Chief, and done, and move on to the next one, okay? The, I, the world's not going to end, all right? So the next piece of boardsmanship I want to talk about is eye contact. This is graded. 
your eye contact is going to be graded. So uh, when I ask you a question, I expect you to make eye contact with me. But when answering it, I don't expect you to only make eye contact with me. So take the time to make eye contact with the other board members because you're addressing them as well. You're answering that question to everyone. Uh, and while you're answering my question, you're addressing the entire board. Don't ignore them. Just glance for one to three seconds at each board member naturally. Uh, and then end the question with who asked you the question. So kind of as you're wrapping it up, you kind of end with your eye contact with the person that you started it with who asked you the question. Pretty easy. It's very simple. So just make sure you uh, go out of your way. Even if you got to kind of tempo it in your head, practice this if you need to, but it, just make eye contact. Don't look at the floor. Don't, you know, look at this wall behind me. You know, eye contact is important and we're going to know if you're doing it or not. Okay. Nervousness. So I've mentioned it a few times, but nervousness is a big deal. And it's one that takes down a lot of people. It does a lot of people in. So learn how to harness it. Uh, everyone's nervous in these things. And that's completely natural and expected by the board members. We expect you to come in with some kind of nerves. Everyone does. But learn to deal with it productively. So refrain from bouncing your chair or bouncing your knees up and down or your feet or whatever, wringing your hands, uh, shifting and control be in your chair. Take time to think. I kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier when you're delivering your answer. It's okay to pause and think before you answer a question instead of running headlong in and then getting lost, okay? Uh, so make sure you understand the question as well. So it, when you're about to answer a question, if you need something repeated, part or all of the question, that's completely fine. Ask the board member to repeat it. Uh, and then take time to think, gather yourself, then sandwich your answer uh, with some killer eye contact and knock it out. It's that easy. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is this was part of the question uh, that I got from a listener when they asked us to do this topic. And I want to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit on how the process works. And what I'm talking about is chiefs at this at this board and what kind of what we do. And this was the question was asked in relation to either like ranking boards for evaluations or say the quarter say of the year boards. Uh, and what I can tell you, uh, as I stated at the beginning, is what's required for you to rank uh, in evaluations or any kind of a board, it's not a moving target. It's really not, it's not a secret, it's not a moving target. And I feel like a lot of people that are on the outside looking in from uh, making chief or, or whatever the case may be, they think it is. And they think uh, that it's, it's some kind of a secret or, or that it's not always the same each year or whatever. Uh, for my first classes, read the Chiefs precepts on, on the NPC website. It lays it out like a map. It literally lists what they're looking for in a Chief. And is it always exactly the same every year? No. But just like I talked about before with like the secret to sustained superior performance, like the general overall arching concept is pretty much exactly the same every year. So get in those precepts and check those out. Here's the thing. What I always tell folks um, that works for me is when I walk into a ranking board, there had damn well better be bullets in my gun. Like, give me the ammunition to fight for you. I want to. I, w I will, like, if I'm put in the position to do so. But if I have a BB gun and they have a bazooka, like, I I'm losing that fight every time. And it's why I say things like be undeniable all the time. I'm a convincing guy, and I will argue and argue and argue tooth and nail for my sailors. But what's sometimes missed is that I'm a chief on the ship all the time. And what I mean by that is that I don't just want my culinary specialists to do well. Like I want all those sailors to do well. And so as the cook chief, if there's a mechanic that deserves to be ranked over my guy, he deserves it. That's it. It, it is what it is. Uh, I'm not going to try to run someone over out of some kind of misplaced loyalty or selfish motivation to take care of my guys, right? Uh, I'm going to take care of you by ensuring that you understand what's expected of you. Uh, what it takes to get that early promote and to rank high, but it's up to you to do it, to load my gun, to give me the ammunition so that when I go in there, 
I can argue for you and put you in the exact position you're supposed to be in. And because those other Chiefs, even begrudgingly at times, because we're all prideful and we all want our guys to rank the highest, but still, like they want you to succeed too. They want the people in these other divisions to succeed as well. Uh, are there E7s out there doing this wrong? Sure, absolutely. Uh, we've established that uh, kind of on every level with every concept that there are poor leaders out there. But this isn't some big conspiracy Navy-wide, like I promise you. What's often perceived as a chief like not taking care of you uh, is in reality him taking care of exactly who should have been taken care of in the first place, kind of like the example I just gave. Another part of this process is understanding that you don't have to be an EP to promote. It's okay to not be that guy. Like even if you know, you're striving to be and you're not quite there yet. Like there aren't cheat codes to this. It's just sawtooth progression. I mean, I'm not going to get too far into that because I'm already a little over for this week's topic, but sawtooth progression is okay. Getting a promotable on your first eval at a command when you're ranked against a bunch of of peers that have been there a while and, and have been competing at that high level for a while, it's okay. I didn't get an early promote at my first command as a chief in the three years I was there. And I mean, I was killing myself. And you could have made a case for it based on what was in my in my write-up. But I was also competing against a lot of other very, very competitive chiefs that were on their second LCPO tours and that you know were basically seeing chiefs out of uniform. And it's like, it is what it is. You are where you are. Your peer group is what it is. And if they are in the position and have earned that higher ranking, don't get salty about those things. Just understand that there's progression and that you're being taken care of, all right? You are, even if you don't have a number one of however many ranking and an early promote on your eval, uh, that doesn't mean that you're not being taken care of. And this kind of goes back to that enlisted evaluations episode, which is why I don't want to go down this wormhole. Kind of take a, take a re-listen to that, and then if you have questions about it, definitely hit me up and we'll discuss it. But I, I you know, I think I've I think I've addressed that. If I haven't, uh, for the for the a uh, young man that hit me up with that question. Feel free to engage me on Facebook and we can go back and forth. I have absolutely no problem answering those questions. So let's wrap it up summary time before I get to 45 minutes here. Uh, so we talked about the policy governing the sale of the quarter and sale of the year awards programs, the steps in the process from nomination to selection, uh, and then dove deep into the concept of boardsmanship. And that's a very important concept that I highly encourage you to practice so that you can be set up for success when you are nominated. Uh, because I have every confidence that you will be. Uh, so junior sailors should understand this program and how to navigate its execution so that when you are nominated or when you're in the position to nominate others uh, for their sustained superior performance, you're prepared to take advantage of what is an incredibly important opportunity. And, and like we said, you know this opportunity goes to such a high level when you're at a senior first class level that you can actually be meritoriously advanced to chief. Uh, so this program is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for leaders to recognize the outstanding performance that we're constantly seeking of our charges. And it's an opportunity for you to shine when you're nominated, uh, to be recognized for that outstanding performance. Like these awards are heavy hitters. Uh, these affect your eval and ranking among your peers. And sale of the year in block 43 on an eval at a Chiefs board is big. I can tell you from experience that it makes chiefs uh not in it not by itself (laughs) but it helps significantly okay it is a big big milestone so understand this program plays a role in your self-actualization you getting to your goals and accomplishing what you came here to do Uh, it's a piece of the overall performance evaluation and advancement puzzle and it's a simple one that for you to understand and seize the opportunity when it presents itself and it will so take the time like always to be informed and learn about this program because it's a big deal 
Um, that's all I got for today's episode. Again, if you need anything from us, you got feedback, you got questions, whatever, uh, hit us up on Facebook Messenger or shoot us an email at don'tgiveuptheshitpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for the patience with me getting this freaking episode out this week. Uh, And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. Keep killing the game like I know you are out there. And thanks for listening. Don't give up the shit.